Well, we are continuing in our series on identity. We've been in this for several weeks. And so far in this series, we have seen that uh, since God is the one who created us, he is the one who defines us. He defines who we are just by virtue of being our creator. We've seen that we have been created in the image of God, and that means, among other things, that we have create, we have dignity and worth, significant dignity and worth, but we also have a position of humility uh, because we are not God, we are created in his image. Uh, we've seen that uh, God's grace can shape our identity no matter what our past has been. Uh, we have seen that for the Christian, Christ is central to who we are. And then last week we saw that as Christians, we are the body of Christ. And that means that here on earth, we are his hands and feet. We are to do his bidding. And it's not just as individuals, as a group. And we're to think of ourselves not just as individuals, but as a community. Today, we are going to be looking at the book of Revelation. Revelation uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. If you would like to follow along, in your own Bible, please feel free, but if you would like to look on the screen, feel free to do that as well. I'll remind you that this is God's Word. It is uh, truth. It is what helps us to understand who God is and who we are. So let's listen intently. John the Apostle writes, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it, and I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests 
to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Let me pray for us. Lord, once again, thank you for your word. It is light to us. It is truth. It is what we need. So Holy Spirit, open our ears and our eyes and our hearts. Open us in our very most inmost being so that we will receive your word with gladness and that we would believe who you say we are and we would live out of that reality. And help us to do that, Holy Spirit, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. There's this story about a, uh, a woman in a grocery store with a three-year-old girl. The girl's sitting in the shopping cart as the woman is making her way up and down the grocery aisles. And they pass a cookie section. And the little girl asks for cookies, as little girls are wont to do. And the mom said, no, we're not going to have cookies today. So the little girl started to whine and fuss. And the mom said, okay, Monica, uh, we just have half the aisles left to go through. Don't be upset. It, it won't be much longer. And then they passed the candy section. And of course, the little girl saw the candy. And when she asked her mom for some and the mom said no, she began to cry. And the mother said, there, there, Monica, don't, don't cry. Only two more aisles to go. And then we'll be checking out. And when they got to the checkout stand and the little girl immediately began to beg for gum, because you know they always have gum right there at the end uh, when you're uh, going through the grocery line. And then when the mom said no to the gum, then the little girl burst into a terrible tantrum. And the mother patiently said, Monica, we'll be through this checkout line in just five minutes and then you can go home and have a well-deserved nap. And then a man happened to see all of this and he went out into the parking lot to, to compliment the woman for how patient she was with her daughter. And he said, you were so patient with little Monica. I was just amazed by that. And the mom said, oh, I think you misunderstood. My daughter's name is Tammy. I'm Monica. You laughed a little bit more this week than you did last week. Uh, that's a case of mistaken identity. And we've all done it, where we've thought we were talking to one person and we found out that we were really talking to someone else. And that can be a little embarrassing. But what happens when we're mistaken about our own identity? When we think about ourselves in a way that is not really who we are. That's part of what this series has been really about. We're like those, you know, those cliche characters in the movies that they get amnesia and then they forget who they are. There are hundreds of movies that are like that. Or maybe even worse, we're the person who has never been told who they really are. And so we just don't know. 
And again, that's part of what this series has been about. But today, I want to tell you something that I think is one of those things that we rarely think about ourselves in these terms. I know even as your pastor, sometimes I have difficulty thinking of myself this way. So if I have the problem of it, I kind of consider that maybe you probably don't think about it that way either at least not on a regular basis. So today what we're going to be talking about is who we are as Christians. Now again, as I've said in the last few weeks, if you're not a Christian, that's okay. We're glad that you're listening. We're glad that you're hearing this. I hope that you see that when we as Christians understand who we are, it gives us a great sense of purpose. And I hope that you hear that sense of purpose and that you want to belong to Christ as well. But for those of you who do believe this is truly for you, that as Christians, we have been set apart by Jesus to be a kingdom of priests. I need to say that one again. As Christians, we have been set apart by Jesus to be a kingdom of priests priests. We see that here in Revelation chapter 5. Now John is having a vision of the heavenly throne room and there's this scroll that an angel says, who's worthy to open it? And he says, well, nobody. They can't find anybody who's worthy until the Lion of Judah actually looks, who looks like a lamb who has been slain, shows up. And then all these heavenly beings begin to sing verse 9, And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you, this lion of Judah, this lamb who was slain. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom, and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Here, very clearly in this verse, we see that Jesus died, and by his death, he ransomed people. Now, when we think of a ransom, we're usually, again, thinking about movies, we tend to think about, you know, that movie, the movies where someone is kidnapped and the person has to pay a ransom in order to get the person back. And that's typically how we start to think about ransoming. Uh, But the idea behind the word that's used here is not that kind of ransom. It's really about being bought, about being purchased. As in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, which uses the exact same Greek word. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought, same word, with a price. So glorify God in your body. You were bought. You were purchased. You were bought. If you're a Christian, you were bought by the blood of Jesus, by Jesus shedding his own blood on your behalf. Now, 
again, we're Americans, and the idea of being bought by someone does not sit well with us. Does it? I am my own person. Nobody's going to buy me. I belong to no one. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Don't get anywhere near saying that I belong to someone else. I am my own. Isn't that the way we think? Most of us? At least on Monday morning. Maybe not on Sunday morning. But Monday morning. But if you're a Christian, if you have a relationship with Jesus where you recognize that He died for your sins and He rose from the dead, then whether you like it or not, you have been bought. You have been purchased. And you are not your own. You belong to Jesus. You belong to God. You are His. He took the debt that we owed God of not giving Him glory. We owed Him glory and he, we did not give it to Him. And yet, He took that debt of sin upon Himself at the cross and He paid the price of the curse of sin so that we would be set free from that debt. And now, we belong to Him. We've been set apart for God. And what does this passage tell us that we have been set apart to be? Revelation 5, 9, 10. Again, they sang a song, Worthy are you to take the scroll to open the seals for you were slain and by your blood you rent, you purchased people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And what did you do with those purchased people? You made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. You, if you're a Christian, you have been purchased by Christ for God to be a kingdom of priests. Is that the way you think of yourself? I'm part of a kingdom and I'm a priest. Now maybe you're saying, well, wait a second, Stuart, I know a little bit about the Bible. A little bit. And the book of Revelation, it's one of those wacky books. You know, it's got all this imagery and crazy stuff in it. You know, I mean... And this is the only passage you're basing this on? Come on, man. I mean, give us something a little bit more deep, you know, than some interpretation that might go all over the place because, you know, imagery, you know. Next thing you'll be telling us is that the, 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 the kind of dragging kind of things that you see in Revelation, that's really like Apache helicopters or something. And no, of course not. I'm not going to be saying that. But I will tell you that this passage is not the only passage that says this. We see it again in the book of Revelation at the very beginning when it's not imagery. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus the Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings on earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a... Come on, you can do this. A kingdom and priests to our God and Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And you say, well, still the book of Revelation. Well, it's not the only place. Way back then, way 
back in the book of Exodus, we see God had the same idea in Exodus 19, verses 5 through 6. He says to his people, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. I love that phrase, by the way. Treasured possession. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And then we see in 1 Peter chapter 2, you yourselves like living stones are being built up to a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. That's you, Christian, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then in verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. See, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What am I saying? Christ has set us apart as his kingdom, as his priests. We are, as Christians, a kingdom of priests. That is who we are. That's who we are. Again, how many of us actually think that way? I mean, imagine, because when we think about priests, we're thinking about, you know, that, that black shirt and the little clerical collar. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, my friend, um, Marcus Kaiser, some of you know him. He was the uh, priest over at the uh, Holy Comforter. And uh, he moved, he lived here in Sumter, but then he moved to Florida uh, last year. He wore one when he walked around town and wore his clerical collar, right? And I asked him about it one time. Tell me about why you wear that collar. And he said the collar had two purposes. First, it reminded him of who he was. When he put on that collar, it reminded him of who, well, better said, whose he was. That he belonged to God. He was, a, he was called to serve people on God's behalf. And the second purpose was that whenever he went out with that collar, people would see him and go, oh, that guy is a professional Christian. <laughs> and so when they had a problem, they would go to him and talk to him about it. And he said, you know, he would just be walking down the street and some guy would come up to him and say, oh, father, you know, and he's like, I'm not your father, but okay, go ahead. And then they would talk to him about whatever problem they had. That uniform signaled to them that he was a priest. Kind of like if you're walking down the street and you need a cop, you look around and you see someone wearing a police officer uniform, right? And you go, okay, that's the guy I need. So it, very similar, that's what the collar meant to him. Now, I'm not saying that you should wear a collar. I, I did have a moment of, a little moment of insanity this week where I looked on Amazon to see how much it would cost to buy collars for all of you. And I thought, that's probably not a good idea. We don't have to wear something to remind us and others of who we are in Christ, but we do need to remember who we are. Right? We need to remember, we need to understand and remember that through Christ's blood, we have been set apart as a kingdom of priests. And this means 
Because we are kingdom, a kingdom of priests, this means we've been set apart for a purpose. For a purpose to serve God and to serve others. That's our purpose as priests, as a kingdom of priests. We serve God. We serve others. That is who we are. Now, let me, let me say, this is more of an aside, but it is important. The phrase set apart that I've been using the last two points, you know that's really what's meant by the word holy? To be set apart? You know, there are some people who they collect things. I know about some people who, who they collect guitars, right? And they love their guitars. And there are certain guitars that they play and there are certain guitars that are just on display. Those guitars have been set apart as special. They have a special purpose. They are not for playing, they are for admiring, right? And that's what, in a sense, that's foundational to what holiness is. To be holy means to be set apart. So when we talk about God being holy, like we sang this morning, holy, 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 what that means is God is set apart. He's set apart from creation. He is not part of creation. He is the creator. He's set apart from weakness. You know, all of creation has some kind of weakness, but God is not weak. He is powerful, and he's set apart from sin. There is no sin in God. There is no evil in God. There is no wrong in God. There is only goodness. So, when Christ purchased us to make us his own, so that we belong to God, we've been set apart. We've been made holy. Not in the sense that we live out holiness, like, like uh, Tim prayed this morning, that we're not holy. We don't live out of that holiness. But we have been set apart. That's why we're called saints in the Bible. Because we have been set apart. Now I know some of you are like, I'm not a saint. Every single letter almost every single letter that you read in the scriptures that was written to the church, they, he begins with, to the saints. And he wasn't just talking about a certain group of people there. He was talking to the church. He was talking, if he was writing today, he'd be talking to you. You see, the word saint comes from the word holy. It's the same, same root word. And what it means is that you've been set apart for a purpose. You've been set apart for God. You are saints. Our problem is that we've, we, we got it, we've got it all wrong. We, either we think like the Roman Catholics do, where they think, okay, in order to be a saint, you have to serve God, you have to die, and then you have to show proof of heroic virtue, and you have to show that you've done miracles, and then after a group studies you and, and thinks about it and then makes a declaration, then you're considered a saint. Or in the Protestant um, tradition, we're more like, well, you know, saints are particularly good people, as in she's a saint for putting up with that man for that many years. Right? That's the way we think about saint. But the scriptures are saying if you're united to Christ, you are a saint. 
You are holy. You are set apart for God, for his purpose. Like the guitar that's set apart on the wall for a special purpose, that's you. You've been set apart, only you're not to be sitting on the wall. You're to be out serving because that is who God made you to be as a kingdom of priests, a kingdom of priests who are set apart, who are made holy to serve God and to serve others in the name of Christ. I'm going to go through a couple of passages real quickly here in, to show you this idea. In Hebrews 9, 13 through 14, if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled person with the ashes of a heifer sanctify, that means make holy, for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You see, Christ's blood is what sets us apart to be a servant of God, to be his priest. And, and 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each has received a gift, and let's face it, we all have received a gift in Christ, right? Use those gifts to serve one another as, God's, as good stewards of God's varied grace. We're to serve God and we're to serve others because that's what priests do. And honestly, it connects with who our Savior is, who our high, great high priest is, Jesus, because he said in Mark 10, 4, 45, for even the Son of Man, talking about himself, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, to purchase people by his service, of dying on our behalf. You guys know that I like movies, and uh, my family tends to watch movies on like family movie night, and it wasn't that long ago that we watched the 2005 version of uh, Charlie and a Ch Chocolate Factory. You know, it was Willy Wonka in the 70s, I believe, or maybe 60s. But then in 2005, there was a new one that came out, Charlie, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And there's one character in that that just drives me insane. It's uh, Veruca Salt. If you've seen the movie, you know who this is. Maybe you've read the book and the same character, I'm not sure. Uh, but she is a spoiled brat. And her father is rich. He owns this company. He, I mean, he's just got all this money. But she never has enough. And she wants one of these golden tickets. And so her dad actually shuts down his factory and gets every single worker to look for the golden ticket that's found in the chocolate bars. They unwrap it and they look. And if they don't see it, they just throw it out. And they just keep doing that until one person finds the golden ticket. And he takes it from her and he gives it to Veruca. And then she says, without saying thank you, I'd like a pony. Veruca, I think part of the reason why Veruca bothers me so much is that I can see myself in her. Where I don't want to be like Jesus at times because I want to be served by others. I want them to bend to my will and to give me what I want, when I want it, how I want it. 
But Jesus says, no, that is not who we are called to be as as a kingdom of priests. We are to serve God and to serve others. Not to be Veruca Salt, but to be more like Jesus. Now, maybe you're asking, okay, so let's say that I wake up on Monday morning and I think I'm a priest. Okay, so what does that mean? What do I do with that? Um, Well, at the very least, we we can talk about a lot of things, but at the very least, this priestly purpose that we all have as Christians involves three things. Prayer, praise, and providing care. Prayer, praise, and providing care. Now, I was really proud of myself that I came up with all those Ps. But then yesterday, and this is true story, yesterday I read an article um, about sermons, and it was entitled, Why Alliteration is No Longer Cool. But it was too late. I had already put it in the sermon, so just, I guess I'm just not cool for using all Ps. But prayer, praise, and providing care. Look, the first one of these is easy. Well, it's easy to understand. It's, it's much harder to put into practice. Um, pray. Think about this. As, as the kingdom of priests, we can pray. If we can't do anything else, we can pray. Right? And that means, we, and, and because of Jesus, we have a unique access. We have a, a special kind of access to God because Jesus has opened up the, the heavenly gates and we can go into the very uh, holy of holies in heaven itself and Speak into the ear of the one who can do more than we could ask or imagine on behalf of others. Isn't that amazing? That's part of the way we can serve God and serve others. And I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble for this or not, but I think that that's one of the ways that we reign on earth here and now. You know, that passage that we read in Revelation 5.10, it says, And you, Jesus, you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. You know, that's what that verse says. How do we reign on the earth? Well, there's a future aspect that we're, we're going to talk about someday, but there's also a present aspect. When we pray, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. That is a reigning posture. Reigning with Christ because we're praying that His will that's in heaven be done here. You want to reign on earth? Pray. Pray for other people. Pray. And then the second one is praise. First uh, Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. As Christians, as priests, we proclaim God's praise And not just to Him, but to each other and to people outside of these walls. And as we do that, we are, again, reigning. Because what better way to show the victory of God in Christ than in the midst of all the ugliness and nastiness and horrible nature of this life to be able to say praise 
to God in the midst of that. I'm not saying be a happy, clappy Christian. I'm not saying pretend it's not, uh, bad stuff's not going on, but we can say, whoa, that was really horrible. It's terrible. I hate it, but praise be to God, this is not the way it will always be. And that's a way that we reign here on earth. And then finally, there's provide care. And we talked about this a little bit last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, being the body. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. That we care for one another, we look out after one another. And we see the same thing in 1 John 3, 16 through 18, where John writes, By this we know love, that he, that Jesus, he laid down his life for us, he shed his blood for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. In other words, we serve others in the name of Jesus. And again, that's one of the ways that we reign here on earth, by using the resources that Jesus gives us by the Holy Spirit to care for other people in the midst of their trials. So let me summarize what we've said so far. Because of Jesus, we've been set apart for God. Because of Jesus, we're holy ones. We're saints, his saints. Because of Jesus, we've been given a meaningful purpose. Because of Jesus, we're a kingdom of priests who serve God and serve others. Because of Jesus, we have unhindered access into the holiest place in all the universe, and we make requests on behalf of other people to the one who was able to do more than we could ask or even imagine. Because of Jesus, we provide care for others out of the abundance of care we have been given in Christ. And because of Jesus, we proclaim the praises of the one who called us out of darkness and brought us into his marvelous light. We are a kingdom of priests. That is who we are. So my action point, if you like these, great. If not, well, tough. <laughs> Embrace your priestly purpose. Again, with the P's. I don't know what I was doing this week, but priestly purpose. Embrace your priestly purpose. What if every morning we woke up and not literally, but metaphorically put on a clerical collar and lived out our priestly purpose? I am a priest who is to serve God and to serve others by what I do today. What if, what if the church actually did that? What would we look like? What would our community see in us? They see us praying for other people, praying for one another, praying for people in the community. They see us praising God in the midst of the nastiness of life. They see us providing care for one another. 
Now, I'll, I'll, I said this last week, and I'm going to say it again this week because I think this bears, this, this, we really need to focus, we need to understand this, that is, as this church continues to grow, we can't really fill this out unless we're together in smaller groups. If you just show up on Sunday morning in this large group, you're not going to be praying for one another much. You're not going to be praising. You're going to be praising, but you're not going to be praising in a way that everybody goes, oh yeah, so-and-so, they had this bad thing happen, but they praised God in the midst of it. You're not going to have that happen because it's just about this, the service. You're not going to be able to provide care for one another if you just show up on Sunday morning. But if you're in a life group or a small group, if you're in a group of people where you meet together on a regular basis and you're sharing life with one another, you're talking with one another about what's going on in your lives, you can pray for one another, you can praise God for how he answers those prayers, and you can provide care in a way that we cannot in this kind of service. In fact, I would go so far as to say one of the problems of the church in the past, church in general, is that we put all of the work on one guy and tell him he's the one that prays. After all, he has a direct line to God. How many times have I heard that? He's the one who does all the praising of God because he's standing up front, and he's the one that provides all the care, and everybody else is just the beneficiaries of that. I want to care, and I want to pray, and I want to praise, and I want to do that well. But if you think that all of the work of the church is, is on me and that's it, wow, you're going to be sorely disappointed. But if we really do, like last week, talk, like we talked about last week, we, we act as a body that each one of us is engaged with one another in that small group, for example, we can pray for one another, we can praise God in the midst of our problems, and we can provide care for one another in a way that one person can never do. I hope that I've sold some life groups to some of you. Because we need these groups. We really do. And God will help us to grow as a kingdom of priests as we engage in them. So, by the power of the Spirit... Let's live out our identity as Christ's kingdom of priests because that is who we are. Let me pray for us. Jesus, help us. Help us to be this kingdom of priests. That's who we are. Help us to live out of that reality, to understand that there's not just one priest, there's not just one minister, but we're all priests, we're all ministers. We all do something in order to serve and pray and praise. So help us to see that. Help us to see this priestly purpose and embrace it and live it out. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.